the last three years, I've been focusing on looking at organisational learning from a leadership perspective and organisational culture. And I've been doing that through the University of Sydney, working on doctoral research. So I'm going to talk about are we innovation ready from those two perspectives today. But before I start, I just want to introduce a quick insight from my studies. And I think this has been particularly fascinating. We've looked around the world in innovation leaders and I've identified a link between innovation and hairstyles. <laughs> now, whether you realise it or not, the US has been an innovation leader for the last 10 years or so, but just this year, it's dropped out of the top 10 Bloomberg global rankings. It's down to number 11. And I don't know if there's any correlation there, but I do know that there is this very strong link between innovation and leadership styles and innovation and culture. So you look at what's happening in the US, they're getting quite myopic. Um, you talk about the rhetoric of building the walls, of stopping diversity, of stopping trade, of limiting uh, what's going on internationally. And that's starting to impact, I believe, what's happening in innovation. So there is less research spending, there is um, less research collaboration, there is less of a focus on higher education, and all of these factors are starting to impact the culture as a whole. Let's take another example, and here's um, another indication of how hairstyles might impact innovation. <laughs> Think about North Korea. Again, quite an insular country, very behind in terms of innovation. In fact, we, have, we don't have much of an idea. They don't even rank on the global Bloomberg rankings. And yet, you compare them with South Korea, so it's like they have twin studies in psychology. They've actually looked at twin cities or twin countries and one very insular, very controlling leadership style and culture in the north. In the south, South Korea actually ranks as number one on the global Bloomberg innovation rankings. The research that I've been doing over the last three years has been, first of all, it's been quite intensive. So I've done a one-year intensive immersion in an organisation doing ethnographic research. I did a cross-case study to look at two different organisations to try to identify how I might tap into what goes on beneath the surface. Then I conducted interviews with a broad range of innovation leaders, so 66 in total, different countries around the world, different industries. So I wanted, as well as going deep, I wanted to sort of get a big picture feel of what's happening internationally in the field of innovation. I started to get a feel for what I thought was emerging as major innovation factors in terms of executive leadership and in terms of culture. And then I put together an assessment measure which I believed would be useful for organisations. And in particular, I focused on the results from 118 innovation leaders. So I believed that with these results, I'd be able to identify what is an innovation leader profile. I've come up with a model to help explain what I've seen is the challenge in innovation leadership and in innovation culture. And I've, I believe that most people only see half of the picture. And most of the time, half of the picture is missing. So does anyone recognise what this is? Wool? It looks like a scan of wool, yes. Looks like it's sort of all twisted. Any other guesses? This is actually a computer simulation of the magnetic fields around the Earth. So what you see is the yellow strands at the bottom 
uh, representing the South Pole and the forces moving away from the globe. And then the blue strands at the top represent the North Pole and the forces pulling back into the Earth. So you've got these two opposing contradictory forces and yet they work in alignment and you've got this beautiful field, magnetic field around the Earth that protects the Earth from solar storms. And you've got this incredible tension in the centre there and I think this represents a lot of what goes on in organisations today. You've got, first of all, that, that pull away, that, that need to look into the future, to break boundaries, to come up with breakthrough innovations, to take risks, that, that, that need to really innovate to survive. And we call that exploration. So that's exploration mode in an organisation or in an individual leadership style. But as well counteracting that, you have an opposite, opposing, yet complementary force. And we call that preservation. So at the same time as needing to innovate and explore, any organisation also needs to preserve. And this is the part of innovation that most people forget about. Preservation can kill innovation by trying to just impose systems and processes you can impact exploration, but it should ideally fuel innovation when these two forces are working together effectively. So we've <coughs> heard a lot about rapid change and the impact that has on the organisation. It can create chaos in an organisation. You'll see that as sort of the underlying tension. That's what I've been trying to tap into in my research. But you can walk into a lot of organisations and they appear to be running very smoothly on the surface. And where these two forces are working well uh, and complementing each other, then you can have great alignment in an organisation. So if I unpack the exploration side, first of all, and this is, as I said, what most people focus on, so it's most familiar probably to most of you. I looked at some research through the ages and I came across a particularly interesting piece of research from about 60 years ago. And there was some researchers who actually looked at the most innovative countries around the world. And they called these cultures creativogenic cultures. So what they decided was these cultures were producing the most number of geniuses. So take, for example, the Renaissance period. An unusual number of geniuses emerged. And they said, why? What was it? So it was something about the economic, political, social cycles that all aligned to produce these really productive cultures. And they started to identify some factors, and I've filtered them down to four key factors. The first one was that you need freedom. So democracies typically support innovation better, that sort of exploration, open exploration. And that research is also supported by more recent research today, which says democracies do produce more innovations. They pr produce more patents. And so that's really important in organisations. People need to feel free to speak up. They need to feel free to challenge the status quo. They need to feel free to, to take um, that leap into the future, into the unknown. The second factor was openness. So you think about Europe now and during the Renaissance. It's a lot of very different, diverse cultures, very closely connected in proximity. And there was a lot of sharing across borders. So something like the printing press, even though elements of the printing press were produced in Egypt, 
or in China. The printing press itself didn't come together until it came together in Europe with Gothenburg. So it was that opportunity to connect, network, and to pull everything together, which is essentially what innovation and creative thinking are about. It's combining different elements to come up with something new and unique. The next element was collaboration. So it's not just enough to have proximity. It's not just enough to have countries next to each other. Think again, North Korea, South Korea. In close proximity, there's no collaboration. There's no innovation going into North Korea. So that's the next step. And, and think about that again in organisations. We need that openness. We need to have those connections. But we also need deliberate collaboration as well. And finally, flexibility. So this is the part of the innovation process where you need to be able to prototype, to test, and to effectively push through to implementation. So let's take the flip side of the story. Let's take the other side of the coin, which is the preservation side. Think about it. You can have too much of these things. And remember I said that most organisations just focus on these things. But think about what happens if you have too much freedom. You get chaos. So you do need some control. You do need some discipline, some guidance, some structure. It needs to be very carefully balanced. You don't want it to kill the freedom, but you do want it to support the freedom. What happens if you have too much openness? Then you've got no direction. You don't know where you're going. So we need some focus as well. What happens if you have too much collaboration? There is such a thing. You can get groupthink, and that was mentioned earlier. So we need some independence. People need to be able to think independently and not go along with the status quo or with what everyone else is doing. What happens if you get too much flexibility? Again, you'll have no clear outcomes. You'll have instability. So we need some stability as well. Same can happen on this side. You can get too much preservation. And, and I think exploration is definitely the driving force, the dynamic that's driving innovation forward. And you want preservation just to be coming in at the right times of the process to not kill that innovation. But you can get too much control. That becomes oppressive. You can get too much focus. That becomes insular. Too much independence can become um, disengaged. And too much stability can become rigidity. So it's a very careful balancing act between these two sides. Very, very interesting dynamic between them. That might help you to think about what sort of an innovation leader you are and <laughs> put yourself in the picture. <laughs>